0: Welcome to another episode of The Gospelpreneur, where we explore Bible secrets to prospering in wealth, health, relationships, and faith. Your host, Brother Andre, digs deeply into biblical science and practical applications while encouraging growth in all areas of our lives. So if you're ready to grow, let's enjoy this journey to biblical abundance. Here's Brother Andre. Because the intent of our study, the intent of our time together is to practically draw closer to God, right? To to have the tools, if you will, that would allow us to draw close to God and the things in this world will grow strangely dim. And I'm going to be honest with you. I am done with religious conformity. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but I, I am fed up with religious conformity, meaning this is the rule and I just follow the rule. That's not how it works. Uh, what Christ wants to do is show us the rule and then show us himself, and then he writes the law in our hearts, right? So it becomes a natural reaction to his instruction, and yes, we're going to have to wrestle with ourselves and wrestle with God, but Christianity is Christ within, and that's what we want. We want Christ within. Uh, Dr. Perry, good to see you, my friend. I'm glad you joined us tonight. So we want Christ within, we don't want superficial religiosity. We don't want that. That's that. Listen, <laughs> I'm done with that. You should be done with that. I've seen so many people cratering in their religious walk because it's simply a religious walk and it's not a spiritual, anchored, biblical experience with God, right? So we want to make sure that that is our true state of being true Christians, Christ within. So before we begin, I'm going to do a little quiz. And mind you, you know, you're not going to be graded right now. Oh, Brother Craig, I see you online there. Carla, I see you on, on there on Facebook. Welcome, everybody. Um, so what we're going to do, here's the quiz. Quiz number, here's question number one. Question number one. Please tell me, the four ways that we can see the love of God. The four ways that we can see the love of God. Go ahead and type it in the chat if you can remember. The four ways that we can see the love of God. Or just list one if you don't remember. Nature. Amen. Amen. Nature. And it's cool because I see some of you guys on Facebook and I've seen some of you putting up nature shots, right? Of your backyard and the sun coming up. I've seen your vet do, uh, do that a couple of times. I've seen Janice put one up with the little squirrels and things. It's like nature is an expression of the love of God. Okay, we have nature. We have the scriptures. Amen. We have family relations. Amen. So that's three, right? Nature, scripture, family relations. Good. And then we also have what? Christ. And Christ is the perfect example, right? Jesus Christ is the perfect expression of the love of God. And that's what we want. We want want to see Jesus, my friends. And forgive me if I sound like I'm a little frustrated in my tones, if it comes across that way, but we want to see Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect example of what love looks like, right? Now you can see when a mommy takes care of a baby, You can see it in the word of God, right? You can see God in his word, but sometimes when you look in the word, you're looking at it and you be like, so God killed all these people? You're like, I'm confused. (laughs) If God is a God of love, why did he kill all these people? So you have to, by God's grace, by his spirit, look and observe and see. Now, if you begin to practice, looking at the four ways to see the love of God, and you begin to practice that in your daily experience, you're gonna see God's love everywhere. Everywhere you're gonna see it everywhere. There's not going to be a time that you don't see it if you're looking in these areas. Now, let's let's be honest. Let's be honest. Some of our families drive us crazy, right? Am I the only one? Some family drives us crazy. Sometimes family grates us the wrong way, and they're not necessarily the expression of the love of God. They might actually be the opposite of that expression. And when that happens, it's not that you don't see the love of God in that, it's actually it's actually a blessing that God allows us to see the negatives so that we can appreciate the positive, if that makes any sense. Because at times we begin to worship family, we begin to worship nature and things like that. So the imperfections are there to allow us to see the necessity of God. Now, those are the four things. Now, let me ask you this. We we did two the second study, we began to focus, we began to focus particularly on our need of Christ. Now, can anybody tell me why we need Christ? Why he is not optional. Jesus Christ is not an option. He is the only solution. Why is that? Type it in the chat. Why is Jesus Christ the, why do we need him? What is wrong with us as human beings that we need God or Jesus? What's your answer? The sin factor. The sinner factor. That's right. That's right. The sinner factor. We're broken. That's correct. We are broken. No question about it. No question about it because we are sinful by nature. Sinful by nature. Without him, we can do nothing because we are sinful to the core. To the core. You know, my friends, I, I appreciate you guys putting that there. And the question is, do you believe that? Because that's what the scripture says. That's not something I'm making up. You know, in the the world today, nobody wants to acknowledge the brokenness of humanity. Nobody wants to acknowledge the reality that our need for God is deeper than we could possibly imagine. Nobody wants to acknowledge that we want to cover up our negatives by the good things that we do, right? Or we compare ourselves amongst ourselves and we start saying, oh, you know, I'm not as bad as so and so. But the scripture is very clear that we are broken, that we are in need of Jesus, that we're sinful from the tip of our top of our heads to the sole of our feet. We are in need of someone better than ourselves. And if we don't accept that reality, I promise you, it's going to be like, you know, how, how do I put it? It's like, you You got shot with a bazooka and you want to fix it with a band-aid, huh? Your arm got chopped off with a machete, and you want to come with some some uh, thread and needle. <laughs> you're You're coming to solve the problem in the wrong way. So what's the solution? Christ is the solution. Jesus Christ is the solution to the problem. So that's the summary of our second lesson, but let's go to the third lesson. The third lesson, actually dovetails into our fourth lesson, like perfect, hand in glove. Last week, we talked about this principle of repentance. Can someone tell me the two components that make up repentance? If somebody really repents, what are the two components that make up repentance? And I know I didn't get that lesson guide to you, so you'll see it tomorrow. But what are the two major components that make up repentance? Anybody Anybody know? Go ahead and type it in the chat. Try it out. What are the two major components that make up repentance? Confession. Good. Forgive and forsake. Okay. Sorrow for sin and asking for forgiveness. Okay. You guys are on to something. Some of these are overlapping in a way. Anyone else? Facebook, what do you got? The two components that make up repentance. Here it is. I'm going to tell you it's sorrow for sin. There it is. Linda has it and turning away from it. It's sorrow for sin and turning away from it. You cannot repent and only be sorry for sin. Impossible. There's no repentance, just being sorry for it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I stepped on your foot and then you step on the foot again. Oh, I'm sorry I stole from you and then you steal again. I'm so no, no, stop saying you're sorry without turning away from sin. Because sorry is simply a sorrow for the effect of what happened, but it's not a sorry for the actual sin itself. And when someone only apologizes for the effect of sin, and not for the sin itself, they are not really sorry. And, and when I'm saying sorry, I'm doing sorry to the extent of to repentance, to the point of salvation. Now, superficial sorry, you know, the 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 whole um, relating to my sorrow that 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 thing, I understand it. It shouldn't be poo-pooed on, but there's something deeper yet. Does that make any sense? Because I, I would be, it would be sad to see someone not truly empathizing or connecting with the sorrow. You know how Jesus was going to Calvary and they were crying, not really understanding what was going on. See That type of thing. I You want people to empathize, but empathy alone is not repentance. Repentance is sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. Perfect. Now, let me ask you another question in regards to uh, repentance. How does one come to the state of repentance? Anybody remember that? How does one come to a state of repentance? We're almost done with the quiz. <laughs> Don't worry. How does one come to a state of repentance? What has to happen? Because it's not natural. So what transpires in the person's experience? There it is. Very good, Ingrid. You're on top of your game. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. What is it? The goodness of God. Now, I want you to think about that, not just in relation to our approach to God, but I want you to think about that in our relationship to people that do us wrong. Think about it. Somebody does you wrong. What do you want them to do? You want them to apologize. So you're not going to, I'm not going to talk to them until they apologize. Hmm. I wonder if God treated us that way, if we would ever come to the kingdom. Hmm. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. He makes himself available. He shows himself good around us until he leads us to a place where we say, you know what? I can't help but love this God. Right? Because it's the goodness of God that leads a man or woman to repentance. It's not the other way around. And I need you to keep that in mind when it comes to human beings. Human beings do not know how to truly repent or ask for forgiveness. It is not in our nature. It's the goodness of God that does it. It's the love of God that does it you know if i if my daughter does something wrong and i go to her and say you're supposed to apologize and she says i'm sorry and then we walk away and then is that <laughs> what is that <laughs> that's not repentance that's not heartfelt that's not something or someone understands that they've done something wrong no that's forced forced confession and that does nothing for anyone does nothing for anyone okay so We've got that point down. we're going to go further tonight, and I want us to pay close attention, because tonight, we're still dealing with the idea of repentance, but we're going to add a word, we're going to add a word that we don't normally see, okay, so here it is. Okay, here we go. So tonight, we're dealing with learning to love God. This is our continuing series, learning to love God, and in that continuing series of learning to love God, hold on, we have this. Tonight, we're I'm going to I'm, I've titled the study "Tell the Truth." Confession is good for the soul. Tell the truth. Confession is good for the soul. Now. You have your Bible. Open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. You say, Andre, why are we dealing with these basic principles? Because my friends, as I've observed us in the time of the crisis with COVID, have I, as I have observed us in the time of the debates in in, in politics, I realize that we're only Christian in name. I I realize as I'm watching everybody seeing prophecy be fulfilled, I'm seeing God's people forget what it is to be a Christian. It blew my mind. I was sitting there like, I, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. So I said, Okay, Lord, I see what you're telling me to do. Back to understanding you. So, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. I love this book of Proverbs, it is a practical book of wisdom. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. The Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Okay, whoso covereth his sins. I, so you start thinking, I start thinking out loud to myself, Whoso confesses his sin, whoso covereth his sin. Now, what would it be to cover your sin? Can 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 anybody tell me what, and I know if you watch TV shows and things like that, I'm not talking about those sins when somebody kills somebody and then puts them in the t- in the tub and then puts all this, this uh, stuff and then boils their bones down to nothing and flushes it down the toilet so nobody finds the victim. I'm not talking about that. Now, if that's your problem tonight, we're on a whole nother level and God's going to have to deal with you on a whole nother level. However, there are ways that we do that in real life with our sins so tell me give me some examples of what it would be to cover our sins because it says who he that covers his sins shall not prosper what would be some examples of covering our sin go ahead and type it in the chat give me some examples of covering our sin because if we cover then we're not going to get help so give me some examples any any examples What would be some examples of covering our sin? What do we do to do that? Somebody's like, I don't want to give my secrets away. Listen, it's okay. I promise I won't put you on blast. (laughs) What are some ways that we, okay, lying, making excuses. Very good. Not forgiving, lying, cheating. Oh, here's here's a good one trying to justify our sins that's a good one listen that one right there is so dangerous because what we do is we blame our mama our daddy we blame our spouses we blame our children because if they had not done such and such to me then i would have not done such and such it's called self-justification somebody said white lies that's right not forgiving now my friends if you cover your sins by these behaviors now let me add a few because we somebody says downplaying our sins that's right that's a problem let me add a few to this let me add a few to this one of the other ways that we cover our sins is by doing good deeds and by doing good deeds we think we make up for the bad deeds that we have done you follow so the idea is don't cover your sins because the Bible says very clearly in, in Proverbs 28:13 he that covers his sins shall not prosper but whoso confesseth and then it says and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy Now that uh, idea of confessing is Uh, sorrowful sin, and forsaking is turning away from it, right? So that's the idea of repentance right there in Proverbs 28 and verse 13. So I'm going to ask you a simple question, and somebody says bribery. That's definitely one that people do to cover their sins, or one of the other things that they do is they pay a large tithe. You know, they give a lot of money to churches and, and ministries, and they cover their sin that way too. Listen, we don't want to cover our sins. What do we want to do? We want to confess them. And tonight, my friends, if you follow the instruction tonight, I promise you that when you are done this evening, your heart will be at peace and at rest because you are no longer covering your sins. You're no longer, you are no longer playing around with these things, but you have been open and honest with God. And when you are open and honest with God, trust me, God can take it. God God can take it. He does not need you to fake it with him. You know, there's a I was thinking about this today. And I know how we we're very sophisticated people, you know, very very well cultured people. And one of the things that we do because we're so sophisticated, like when we talk to God, we speak even in the King James language to God. Thou art so merciful you know like <laughs> we we are so fake with god man it's it's very interesting but we we do that and at the same time while we're doing that in our hearts we're cussing and swearing now listen either way it goes god knows the real like i always tell people you know it's, it's okay to be 100 percent honest with god because he can handle it you can't handle being dishonest because you can't get the correction and help that you need because you're covering up with all these good behaviors or bad behaviors or downplaying it or self-justifying or lying or cheating or so forth and so on. But God can handle it. Again, it reads, he that covereth he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. So let me ask you, are you prospering right now? And I'm not talking about money prosper, although that's part of it, because you need to confess that you don't know what you're doing with your money. But what I am talking about is, are you prospering in your experience with God? Is your spiritual life growing? Are you developing? Are you moving in a way that you know that you know God? That's the question. Because if you don't know him, if you find yourself spiritually in, in, in depth, it's because you are not being 1000% honest with him. Now I'm going to read something to you. You may not understand fully what I'm going to read, but I read this one day and this was this was uh, life-changing for me. This was life-changing for me. And I'm going to see if I can pull it up quickly. If I can't, I'm going to keep going. But I, it, this was absolutely life-changing for me. And it reads from the book, Christ's Object Lessons. And it says this, in one way only. I'm going to, I'm going to read this to you. And I believe it's 164, in one way only, Christ's object lessons. Let me me get it. Here it is, 159. Listen to this, friends. Listen to this. No man, this is you and me now, this is mankind. No man can of himself understand his errors. Okay? You and I cannot naturally understand our errors. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Now, listen to this. The lips may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. The lips may express, there's a confession, a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. While speaking to God of poverty of spirit, the heart may be swelling with a conceit of its own superior humility, and exalted righteousness. What? I read that, and I paused. And I said, wait a second, you mean while talking to God and confessing to God, I actually may still be prideful and arrogant while I'm confessing that I'm a bad person? Yes. Yes. Then you should be asking me, Andre, what do we do? Because then, man, I'm messed up. Because if I'm saying this to God, but I don't really mean it, what am I to do? Here's the answer. It says, while speaking to God, a poverty of spirit and the heart may be swelling with the conceit of its own superior humility and exalted righteousness in one way only. This goes back to that lesson that we were doing with with the sinner's need of Christ, right? In one way only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. What's that way? We must behold Christ. We must behold Christ. Why? It is ignorance of him that makes men so uplifted in their own righteousness Hmm? you see my friends when i confess my sin to god when i confess, oh lord i i was prideful today i i should not have said such and such words to so and so in my heart deceitful and desperately wicked i'm still thinking that sister should have never said that to me in the first place if she knew who i was are you following Because if you don't get this point, I don't care how many times you confess, I don't care how many times you go and ask God for forgiveness, it won't matter until you have been in the presence of the Most High, and it hits deeper than words, and it hits the heart. Okay? It has to hit deeper than words, and it has to hit the heart. And I'm not saying you have to be emotional and start crying, but there is a realization of the necessity and the darkness that's inside, and I need Jesus. So the confession has to be more plain. But let's let's go a little bit further. Let me, let's do this. I want to show you something else. I'm going to show you something else. Notice this. Now, this is a picture of people that are climbing upstairs on their knees. They're doing this for whatever purpose, or to be right with God. Here you have a gentleman or a lady, I don't know who it is, but they have a whip and they are beating their back. They're beating their back. They're beating their back. Why are they doing that? Because what's happening is they want to be right with God. So they 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 are doing things that to 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 calm the flesh, if you will. To put the flesh in its proper place and this is not fake like this person beat their back so much that there's blood on the on their back they want to be right with god now you say my friends (laughs) i would never do that Hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't beat your back with a with a whip to show yourself more worthy how about this how about this because i'm talking to religious people so let me talk to the religious people would you fast so you could be right with god Would you say I'm gonna I'm going to eat only fruit for seven days because I ate I, that ice cream and I need to be right with God, so I'm gonna only eat fruit for seven days straight so I can be right with God. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm, by God's grace by the time we're done with our series, there should be nothing about ourselves that we commend to God. There should be nothing about ourselves that we're like, you know what, I am a good person. I don't want that at all. You shouldn't want it at all. Our righteousness, our goodness has to come from someone better than us. I'm gonna read something to you that blew my mind, okay? It blew my mind and I didn't understand, I did not understand until, look at this. This is from a book called Great Controversy. Again, I didn't put it on the screen, but I I wanna read it to you. And it's talking about the fallacy of uh, going to a confessional and things like that. But I want to read this. so you got to listen to this. Pay close attention. So it says, the church's claim to the right to pardon causes the Romanists to feel at liberty to sin. And the ordinance of confession, without which her pardon is not granted, tends also to give license to evil. Now, why would that? Why would that be? Why She's writing this. I'm asking, why would that be? It says, he who kneels before fallen man and opens in confession the secret thoughts and imaginations of his heart is debasing his manhood or womanhood and degrading every noble instinct of his soul. Well, why is that? Why would me confessing my sin to a human being be degrading and debasing. Why would my, why would me confessing my sin and to to a, a to a counselor or someone else be degrading and debasing? You know why? Watch this. Watch this. In unfolding the sins of his life to a priest, and I don't care if it's a priest. I don't care if it's your neighbor. I don't care if it's your pastor. If you confess your sins to a human being, watch what happens. An erring sin for mortal and too often corrupted with wine and licentiousness. His standard of character is lower, and he is defiled in consequence. Why? Why is, that? Why is that the case? So if I'm confessing my sin to another human being, I'm not saying the Bible says confess your faults one to another, right? A fault is when you have done wrong to someone else. That's the fault, that's what it's talking about, and we'll get to that in a moment. But when you're talking about your sins, your heart sins, Confessing your sins to a mortal may feel good for a moment, but hear me when I tell you, the mortal that you confessed your sin to cannot save you. You might feel good, like it might feel good, like I told somebody, it's off my chest, so forth and so on, guess what, you still have your sin. Hmm? You still have your sin. It has not gone anywhere. It still belongs to you. So don't confess your sins to mortals as if that's the end of the day. Now, if you want to confide and get help, I'm not saying not to do that, but I'm saying that's not the solution. Watch, it says, his thought of God is degraded to the likeness of fallen humanity for the priest stands as a representative of God. This degrading confession of man to man is the secret spring from which has flowed much Of the evil that is defiling the world and fitting it for final destruction. So when I confess my sins to another person and I confess my sins to a mortal, it does not do anything but allow sin to still remain. You see, we have a savior. His name is Jesus. He wants to take our sin from us. You understand? Hmm. Let's go a little further. Watch. Yet to him, who loves self-indulgence, listen to this, yet to him who loves self-indulgence, it is more pleasing to confess to a fellow mortal than to open the soul to God. Now, I'm gonna stop right here. When I read that, I said, I scratched my head, I rubbed my brow. I, what do you mean? To him that loves indulgence, self-indulgence, it's much better to confess to a priest than to confess to God. Because if I confess to a priest, you know, he's there's a limit to righteousness there. And he's a mortal like me. He's a human like I am. So that that plays the game. But now, but now if I confess to God and I have to open my soul to God, oh no, the reality of what I am is now exposed. The depth of my brokenness is now exposed. And nobody likes to be exposed. I don't like to be exposed. You see, it's much better for me to compare myself to another human being because then I'm all good. It's better for me to confess my confess, you know, like compare myself to an elder or a pastor or a preacher because then I just, I'm just, a, I'm better than them. I'd eat right. I dress right. I preach better. I do this better. And this is self deception. Hmm? This is self-deception. Somebody says, "What chapter is it? this?" Is a uh, great controversy, page five sixty-seven, paragraph two. Okay, great controversy, five sixty-seven, paragraph two. Now watch. I'm not even done with this yet. It says, "Yet to him who loves self-indulgence, it is more pleasing to confess to a fellow mortal than to open the soul to God. It is more palatable to human nature to do penance than to renounce sin." Think about that. Y'all thinking about that? Think about that. It says, I'll read it one more time. It is more palatable to human nature to do penance than to renounce sin. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Let me see you. I'm gonna see you. Tell me why that would be. Why would that be? Why would that be where it's more palatable to do penance, beat my back, crawl upstairs on my knees, fast for three days or seven days and eat only fruit. Uh, I'm only going to, I'm not going to watch TV for this much time. Like, why would it be more palatable? (laughs) It's easier. Yes. But how would it be? Think about it. But somebody say, because you still love the sin as you are not ready to give it up. Yes. So folks would rather beat themselves with chains, crawl upstairs on their knees, fast and pray, but not really give their heart over to God because we're still in control. Mercy, that's a word. That's a word because we're still in control. So, the more I thought about this talk today, the more I thought about it, I said, Father, what sin do I love so much that I'd rather do all the other things than to give that sin up? What sin is so important in my life that I would rather hold on to it and hold on to it than to give it over? To God, what sin? You see, my friends, you need to ask yourself that question. I need to make sure I ask myself that question. Somebody says because we have not died. Someone else said pride. That's that's right. But look, friends, I, I as I said to you already from the beginning of our talk. I am done with religiosity and its normality as far as culture is concerned. I am done naming the name Christian without the power of Christianity. I am done with it. People are done with it. Church is not for everybody when everybody's in there dead. Why are we dead? Because we have lost sight of Christ. See, I want all of it. I want all of the gospel. I want all of what God has promised to me. And if, I'll, if what we have to do is draw closer to him so that he reveals himself to us so that we can learn to hate sin, it is simple, my friends. It is simple. More time with Jesus means more I become like him. And I'm not talking about more time reading. I'm talking about reading and meditating and asking God, show me you, And as you show me you, show me me. Show me you. And as you show me you, show me me. And as you begin to see, now you say, you know what? Now you can confess. Because you can't confess and repent without seeing your need of what you've done. You can't. It's impossible. Somebody wrote, church has become a justification for sin. In a way, yes, it has. Just like the the reading I just put here. And I'm not quite done. Let me let me finish this. It is more palatable for human nature to do penance than to renounce sin. It is easier to mortify the flesh by sackcloth and nettles and galling chains than to crucify fleshly lust. Heavy is the yoke, which the carnal heart is willing to bear, rather than bow to the yoke of Christ. Mercy. Heavy is the yoke which the carnal heart is willing to bear rather than bow to the yoke of Christ. So you know know, for me and God right now, me and him, because he has me in a space. I don't know. Friends, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You guys don't know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Last week, was the worst week of my life. (laughs) I laugh about it, but it's true. Of my 43 years on planet Earth, last week was my worst. And Friday night, I was thinking, man, I probably should cancel this Bible study. Last Friday, I probably should cancel this Bible study. I am not ready to teach anybody anything. I am not in the state of mind, in the state of heart, nothing. (laughs) And it was amazing because as I began to study, The spirit of God began to come upon me, and the scriptures began to speak to my heart, and I began to fall in this state of peace. I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying, but I was in this state of peace, and the spirit of God is teaching. And as I'm as He's teaching, I'm learning, you know, because I'm I listen as the spirit talks, and my heart is being settled, and I'm I'm at peace. By the time we were over hour and a half later, you know, we're done. I'm at peace, and I go and deal with a certain situation. I come back and at eight o'clock last week, I'm just testimony, I'm testifying right now. Now I'm already at peace. So I already know God's working everything out for me. I'm already good there. And at eight o'clock in the middle of Bible study, a email had come to me. Now that email was not from a friend. In other words, I'm telling you, this person is not my friend. This person has never done good for me in any way, shape or form always has been a thorn in my side. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you have people like that in your life. And this email came from this person. And in the first line, it said, happy Sabbath. I've memorized the email reference. The email said, happy Sabbath. I'm like, okay. I've been thinking about you over and over and over again this week. That week, again, my friends, was the worst week in my life. And she writes, she continued to write. She said a couple more things that showed me that something special is happening inside of her. And then she wrote Exodus 14 14. You guys know what Exodus 14 14 says? (laughs) Essentially, the the crux of it is you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, now listen, my friends, I'm all about Bible texts, but the idea that the Bible text applied to my situation and the spirit of God had already given me peace. I'm like, look at God. You know, he could have sent that message to one of my friends. He could have sent that to one of my, my associates, my circle, my tight circle. He said, no, I'm going to confirm to you, Andre, that I'm with you and I'm going to send it from your enemy. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying right now. <laughs> you see the idea is my friends we don't need to have a religiosity we need an experience we need an experience with god where that word has an impact on the reality of what i am not a theory not a philosophy not a not a debate argument i don't argue with listen somebody like andre 25 this and all the trinity or the sun i'm not arguing about theology if you want to know i'll let you know if you want to argue there's other people to argue with with the gospel is not about arguing the, the argument has already been settled at the cross the issue is has the gospel got a hold of you so that you are living in a light so that the world can see it that's the greatest argument you say i believe the sabbath which you're mean and angry and not nice to nobody nobody want to know about your sabbath well i believe the state of the dead ain't nobody want to hear about your state of the dead when your heart is dead this is how we eat you eat this way and you're mean nobody wants to be around that christ must find his way within now am i saying that you have to be you know uh, a pushover nope, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, not at all. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that Christ's character must be formed within. I was talking to a buddy of mine because uh, earlier today and we were talking about the law and the, and and Jesus Christ and the gospel, and one of the main components that i I believe that we miss as a people is that we think we have to generate a new life of our own, like it's a new life, like, but the reality is christ. Within means that he's living his life inside of us. So when I confess my sin, when I confess that I am broken, when I confess that I'm a liar, when I confess that I'm a cheater, when I confess that I'm broken, that is okay because that is the reality. There's nothing good inside of me. So when something good is done, who gets the glory? Christ does. Why? Because he's living his life in me. That's why it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. But confession. Let's go a little bit further with this. I want to make this as practical as I can, all right? I want to make this as practical as I can for you because when we're dealing with this idea of confession, we don't need to beat ourselves. There's no need to go into some fasting and prayer like the level that, as if that's going to gain righteousness. Now you do need to pray, and there is a time for fasting. I'm not saying not to do it, but it does not gain you righteousness, just like beating yourself and making yourself go upstairs on knees doesn't do anything for you either. So what does it mean to confess our faults? Listen to this. Steps of Christ, page 37, paragraph 3 says, confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to who? To God, who only can forgive them And your faults to one another. Notice the difference between the language. Confess your sins to God and your faults to one another. If you have given offense to your friend or neighbor, you are to acknowledge your wrong and it is your duty freely to, it is their duty, it is his duty, her duty freely to forgive you. Then you are to seek forgiveness of God. Because the brother you have wounded is the property of God, and in injuring him, you sinned against his creator and redeemer. Notice the sequence. Some of us today are going to have to go to our family and our friends before we pray tonight. There's Bible verse for that confess your faults to your brother and sister what's your fault if you have wronged your brother if you have wronged your sister if you have wronged a a friend if you have wronged an associate don't go praying and talking to god about it go talk to the person and confess your sin specifically not general specifically you see what what i'm doing with you right now what we're doing what we're walking through right now Is an intentionality to be a Christian. An intentionality to be a Christian. You cannot go and pray and talk to God and confess your sin to God, and you have this unjust deed that you've done. Can't do it. Go confess to your brother and sister. You say, Andre, it's hard, they're going to be mad at me. That's okay. It's their job to forgive you. You don't, that's not on you anymore. You have confessed. You acknowledge a wrong. You, whether they accept it or not, must go to them. Then you are to seek the forgiveness of God. Because you've wounded the son or daughter of God. So you, when you go to God, you got to go with everything. Father, I did this and I hurt your child. Father, I did this and I hurt your, your daughter. Father, I misrepresented you at the church board meeting. Amen. I've been to them. They're horrible. <laughs> I'm laughing, man, but it's traumatizing. Like You you got to get counseling after some of these board meetings, right? You must confess your sin to God. You must, before you do that, go to your brother, be specific, not general, not broad. I, I lied to you. I raised my voice at you. I apologize for that. I should have never have done it. And whether they accept your apology or not, that's not your problem. You understand that? Your duty, confess your sin. Your duty, let them know that you've done wrong. Your duty, heartfelt sorrow for what you have done. Not just the result of it, I hurt your feelings, I sorry I hurt your feelings, no. What calls me to speak to them in this regard, then, you confess that, and the effect that you did. Don't be broad. I'm sorry you felt that way. What? Come on now. So, the condition, go to Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen. I didn't realize I was gonna talk this long. I was I was planning to be much shorter tonight. <laughs> oh, but there's something that happens when I open the Bible. God is so good. Go to Hebrews. Uh, chapter Four and verse fifteen Hebrews chapter four and verse fifteen the Bible says, "For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin now why why am I bringing this to you? Christ is our high priest he is one that feels what we feel there is nothing that you can hide from him and not i've told you the story i think i've told you the story before i've talked so often around so many places but i may have told you guys this but i like to tell the story again when i when <laughs> when i was in my early stages of trying to be a christian and i got to argue with my sister and I, I told you the story, someone telling in a calmer way this time. And I remember going to talk to my dad. And I, as I was speaking to my dad, it, it, what happened was my sister was disrespecting my mom. And I didn't like her disrespecting my mom. So what I did was I grabbed my sister up, put her over my shoulder, and put her in the closet, closed the door. And I said it real calm, like now, like I'm saying it calm right now, but I wasn't that calm when I did it then. And I went downstairs. And as I was downstairs in the basement, I was disappointed in my behavior. I was disappointed in how I responded. I was disappointed in how I was not a reflection of the love of God when I dealt with my sister that way, right? So I remember being down there just upset, just upset that my sister and upset at myself for not representing God properly. And I'm down there and I'm literally, my friends, I'm not exaggerating, I'm cussing at God. I'm cussing at him because I'm like, yo, you're, you're trying to, you're saying you want me to be a Christian. It's not working. <laughs> it's not working. It's just, it's, it's infuriating. I'm failing. I'm, I'm messing up. And I'm, I'm, and I'm just taught, I'm being open and honest with God. And God comes to me in a very still, small voice. And he says to me, Andre, go talk to your father. I'll never forget it. I'm downstairs in the basement. The voice says, go talk to your father. So my dad was on the, you know, went to the base, went to the main floor, then went to the, to the upstairs. My dad's in the office, he's typing away. And as he's typing away, he says, hey, son, how can I help you? And I'm like, uh, I wanted to have like a civilized conversation about my renunciation of Christianity because I felt that it was no longer applicable to me. <laughs> That was my desire. I wanted to be, you know, intelligent. But it didn't come out that way. It came out more like, I hate God. That's what came out. I wasn't trying to say it. I It just came out that way. I hate God. That was what I said. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I'll never forget it. And my dad looked at me. And if you know my pops, um you know my expectation was boy don't talk like that you know that's what i expected in that moment in time but what what happened was god downloaded his love to my dad right it was like a direct link (laughs) and my dad got up and just hugged me did not say a word i don't even know if he remembers i want to talk to him tomorrow and see if he remembers but I didn't say didn't say a word just got up and hugged me man in the midst of my open and honest heartfelt confession that I didn't want God that I hated God for putting me in this situation that I hated God for having me trying to be a Christian I and I let it out man and I'm telling you it was a hug from heaven So, you know, the first condition of acceptance is to confess the reality of what you are. I say confess all of it. And I'm telling you, God can handle it. You don't have to be sophisticated with him. If you're hurt, you can say it. If somebody's hurt you, you can say it. If you have animosity in your heart, he is present to be there to help you. You can say it. I say let it all out. If you've been abused in ministry, you can say it. If the pastor has done you wrong, you can say it. You can say it, and it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be fully vulnerable with God. Now, you can't be that way with everybody. Everybody ain't going to be like that with you. But with God... You can be like that with God. And as you're like that with God, the Bible says he is able to succor. That means he is able to help. He's willing to come close. He is willing to aid. He is willing to give you peace that passes all understanding. I promise you, my friends, when you confess it all to him, don't hold nothing in. You ain't gotta be sophisticated. You ain't gotta be churchy. You can just say it like it is. And he will come. The first condition of acceptance is humbling your soul before God in acknowledging your guilt. How do you come to acknowledge your guilt? Well, he has to show himself loving, right? He has to show himself loving. You see, without him showing himself loving, friends, we are going to stay angry we're going to stay broken. So press close to him. I promise you as you press close he says, "If you seek me, you will find me. When you search for me with all of your heart." Not some of your heart, not part of your heart. I promise you, you if you put your all into seeking God, he will be found of you. And trust me when I tell you, he's already he's already there. It's not like he's not <laughs> it's not like he's not there. He's already on top of it. He's already there. Now, listen to this. I want you to hear me because I want you to be practical tonight and tomorrow and for the rest of your life when you're dealing with confession. It says, Confession of sin, whether public or private, should be heartfelt and freely expressed. That's why I said to you, that's why I said to you, my friends, freely expressed means. I can't force my daughter to say she's sorry. I can't force my wife to say I'm sorry. My wife can't force me to say I'm sorry. It doesn't come that way. It comes as you're in the presence of the most high. He gives you something that you don't have and the reality of your sin becomes to come forth and now you're confessing from the heart freely. It is not to be urged from the sinner. What does it mean? So you did me wrong, you you owe me an apology. Guys, if you're doing that, there's something wrong with you because you don't understand how this works. It is not to be made in a flippant and careless way. What does that mean? I'm sorry. Really? Are you really sorry? You just want to get it over with. Like, I'm sorry. Now you should accept it. I'm going to move on. Come on now. That's not how it works. It is not to be made in a flippant and careless way or forced from those who have no have who have no realizing sense of the abhorrent character of sin. So you can't force it. The confession that is the outpouring of the inmost soul finds its way to the God of infinite pity. The psalmist says, listen to this. I love this, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Are you of a broken heart, friends? And save such as be of a contrite spirit. You see, you see, if you and I want a broken heart and a contrite spirit, the only way it presents itself is by beholding the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That's the only way. It's the only way it does. And what I'm going to challenge you to do, because we have talked about Jesus for so long and not experienced him, that we have come to a place where it is numbing just to hear about Calvary and the gospel. It doesn't do anything to us. It doesn't move us. But sincerely, my friends, tonight, when it's all said and done, when you're quiet and alone with Jesus, I'm going to challenge you, Alone with Jesus, cry out to him, Father, I don't love you like I should. Father, show me who you are. Show me, Jesus. As I read your word, Father, as I read about Calvary, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Why am I not moved? You ask the question, I promise you, he will reveal himself. Again, practical. True confession is always of a specific character and acknowledges particular sins. Specific, I hope I'm saying that right. (laughs) Specific character, particular sins. They may be of such a nature as to be brought before God only. And I told somebody this one time, there's some sins, you don't tell everybody you're junk, man. You go to God and you confess it to God. You let him know full out what you have done. Some of these sins you can only talk to God about. They may be wrongs that should be confessed to individuals who have suffered injury through them, or they may, they may be of a public character and should then be as publicly confessed. But all confession. All confession should be definite and to the point acknowledging the very sins of which you are guilty specific not pacific <laughs> specific so if you stole $23.49 you don't say i'm sorry for stealing the money you say I'm sorry for stealing $23.49. I should have never taken that from you. It will never happen again by God's grace. And I'm willing to accept whatever punishment you have for me. Please forgive me. Because forgiveness does not mean there's no consequence, right? Forgiveness simply means that it's not held to your account forever and ever and ever. But forgiveness. I forgive you, but I'm just not gonna let you in my room for a time. There may be consequence to that. They may not trust you anymore. Sin must be confessed specifically. I'm sorry for hurting your feelings. No, that's not specific. I'm sorry for raising my voice and calling you stupid. I should have never spoken those words. They should have never come out of my mouth. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And they may not forgive you, but that's not your problem. Specific, definite in nature. You say, Andre, why must it be this way? Because if you're not that way, in in a way when you're broad and not specific in your confession of your sin, you are in a way covering your sin. But the full acknowledgement of it brings it to light. And that which is in the light is less likely to be repeated. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. I I need you to make sure you understand that. If you're broad, you're probably going to repeat it. If you're specific, it gives the opportunity to deal with it in a very specific way, therefore not repeating the activity over and over again. Oh. Let's go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. We're almost done. Isaiah chapter 1. In verse 16. Isaiah chapter 1. In verse 16. Listen to what the Bible says. It says wash me. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes cease to do evil learn to do well seek judgment relieve the oppressed judge the fatherless plead for the widow i'm gonna read verse 18 come now and let us reason together say the lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool. I want you to notice that in the confession of your sin, there's a process of cleaning, a turning away from, a washing that must take place. If you go back to the very thing you confess, you have not done your duty. It's true. And therefore, you are not in the state of peace with the most high the whole point of being a christian is to be in right standing with god and if you're walking around with your sin you are not at peace with god ezekiel 33 in verse 15 notice what the bible says the bible says if the wicked restore the pledge so there's a restoration that has to take place you confess now there's a restoration if the wicked restored the pledge give again that he robbed walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity he shall surely live he shall not die so in other words if you confess and you turn from your evil way and you're living a righteous life you're not going to go back it's a reformation that's taking place there's a confession there's a repentance and there's a reformation you don't continue to do the same things and live the same way second corinthians second corinthians Go there with me. 2 Corinthians. Look at this. Chapter 7 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians, chapter 7 and verse 11. The Bible says, For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrow after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you? Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Yea, what indignation? Yea, what fear? yay, what vehement desire, yay, what zeal, yay, what revenge, and all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. In other words, you are so sorry for the sin that you're not going back to it. You have made such changes in your life that you're like, hey, no more of that. No more of that. No more of that darkness in my life. No more of that sin in my life. No more of this rebellion in my life. No more of that. So confession must be precise, detailed. You must, before you go to God for repentance and confession, you must go to your brother and sister who you hurt. Okay? You cannot just continue to go and do and never confess. You have to confess. You must be right with God. Now listen to this. Listen to this. It says, when sin has deadened the moral perceptions, The wrongdoer does not discern the defects of his character, nor realize the enormity of the evil he has committed. And unless he yields to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, he remains in what kind of blindness? Partial blindness to his sin. So again, this is a person that doesn't understand the full impact of it. Why? Because sin has deadened the moral perceptions. He cannot discern the defects he doesn't understand the great impact it goes on to say his confessions are not sincere and in earnest to every acknowledgement of his guilt he adds an apology in excuse of his course declaring that if it had not been for certain circumstances he would not have done this or that for which he is reproved Do you find yourself self-justifying, my friends? Do you find yourself self-justifying? You lost your temper with your wife. Do you find yourself self-justifying? If she had not spoken to me that way, then I would have never spoken that way. So now you've given her the power over you. In reality, you just didn't have any power. You didn't have Holy Ghost power. You didn't have Christ power. You had satanic power. So don't justify your badness. Don't justify, well, if she hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. If she ended this, and I would have done that. Nah, man. We ain't got time for that. Confess your sin to God in its completeness, in its totality. In its totality. We're almost done here. Notice this. In fact, before I go there, before I go to these verses Genesis 3, verse 12 and 13 hold on one second genesis 3 verse 12 and 13. i do want to read this text go to genesis 3 verse 12 13 because this is very 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 interesting because when we're caught in sin this is what we do this is what we do genesis 3 verse 12 and 13 this is what our fathers and mommies did this is what adam and eve did watch what they did and the man said the woman whom thou gavest to be with me she gave me of the tree and i did eat what is he doing it's the woman that you made. <laughs> and God said to the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So who are they blaming? God. Adam blames Eve, who God made. Eve blames the serpent, whom God made. We blame others for our weaknesses. I will never again blame anybody for my messed up life my messed up heart. Nope. It's me. Now, the reason why this is so important, when you can come to a place where you acknowledge that it's you, then you can sing this song. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer not my mama or my daddy but it's me oh lord standing in the need of prayer. not the preacher or the deacon but it's me oh lord standing in the need of prayer. so you can sing that song and it's real because you realize it is your fault for your situation and your condition and you're taking responsibility. And when you take responsibility, the devil doesn't have control over you. Your mama and your daddy doesn't have control over you. The person that did you wrong in the past doesn't have any control over you. It's you and God and God can work on you. God can work on you. And as he's working on you, he's changing you, he's reforming you, he's creating in you what you don't have. I'm telling you, friends, it's a different type of experience when you're going through a storm and you're walking on water. Y'all, listen, your brother right now, Andre Waller, is going through a storm. It's only by the mercy of God that I am on top of the water. It's only by the mercy of God that you can walk in this world, a Christian life. It's only by his grace. It's only by his mercy. There is no goodness in any of us. Hang that up. Stop comparing yourselves amongst yourselves. Confess the reality of your brokenness to God. He's the only one that can help you. All right. Yes. This is the last text that we're going to read for this evening. And then I have some practical things for you to do tonight and tomorrow. And by God's grace for the rest of your existence on planet Earth. So we're going to go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Chapter 26. In verse 10. Acts 26 and verse 10. The Bible says. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And this is Paul speaking, right? And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them oft in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even to unto a strange cities. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's say somebody came to your church <laughs> and they said, yo, I persecuted and I killed your uh, fellow church members and from your country and from your state i killed them over here and i killed them over there i killed them all the way to the gates of the church i massacred them man if you if somebody came to you saying that you'd be like yo where's the police at man get this guy out of here this is paul saying that now we read it in scripture and we're detached from the reality of what he's saying he's literally confessing to you and i i was in prison i put people in prison I received authority to put people to death. I punished them in synagogues. I blasphemed his name. I exceedingly, I exceedingly was mad against them. I persecuted them to the gates of the city. That's the confession of the greatest apostle. <laughs> Are you understanding the depths by which we need to confess our sin? Confess in detail, my friend. And it's interesting that as he's confessing his sin, he's not he's not standing there claiming anything. He in in Paul's writing, he says, I am the chief of sinners, I am the sinner amongst every sinner, worse than any sinner. Why? Because he's acknowledging God, he's experienced God, and he's no longer taking glory to himself. He says, The only thing I glory in is the cross itself. he's considered one of the greatest apostles mercy first timothy first timothy oh we're 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 coming home we're we're rounding we're rounding third base (laughs) we're coming home in first timothy 1 verse 15 notice what the bible says in first timothy 1 and verse 15 the bible says this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Hmm. Do you believe that about yourself? Paul says he's the chief of sinners. Here's the beautiful part about it, my friends. Here's the beautiful part about, I don't want you to miss this. Here's the beautiful part about the gospel. Paul says he's the chief of sinners. And then 1 John 1 9 says, says, if we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, specific sin, not general, not broad, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Hmm. if we confess Remember now, before you can confess to God, whatever you've done to others to hurt them, you need to confess to them. And you need to be open and honest with them about what you have done to hurt them. Once you've done that, then you go to the throne of God and then you confess. Now, again, I'm telling you, you won't confess and you won't repent unless you spent time with God, because God is the only one that can reveal the necessity of what's going on inside you once you have that experience with him then you're going to want to go out and confess to him he's gonna say wait wait a minute don't come to me yet, home's homie homie g i need you to go i need you to talk to your wife i need you to go i need you to talk to your children i need you to go i need you to talk to that church member I need you to go and I need you to talk to that person that you hurt the other day at your job. I need you to go and talk to them. And when you're done talking to them, come back to me. I have more for you. And then you confess and you pour out everything to God. And the more you pour out to God, the more you pour out to him, the closer you are to him. That means there's nothing between. See, now that now those hymns start making sense, right? <laughs> nothing between my soul and the savior, right? That, now those hymns make sense. Because what would be between sin? What would be between animosity? What would be in between pride, arrogancy, unconfessed and unforsaken sin? But nothing between my soul and the Savior. Tonight, my friends, my challenge to you is very simple. My challenge to you is extremely simple, not complicated in any way. My challenge to you is this. I need you to go and take some time and confess your sin and be specific. Be detailed with God. As you're in that process, he's going to bring something to your mind. He's going to say, hey, Dre, you know what? I appreciate you being here with me, but there's an issue. We need to go handle this with so-and-so. You say, but so-and-so. Now, here's the other part. There might be somebody that you've done wrong to. You don't know where they are, right? So here's what you do. You write a letter. You write it out on paper. You write it on a paper, and you look and you ask God for the opportunity to find this person, to confess what you have done wrong to. You write it out. So when the opportunity presents itself, you're ready to execute. So take some time. And be specific in the confession of what you've done wrong. And you won't be specific unless you spend time with the Most High, because he's going to reveal to you what it is. Number two, if you have wronged someone else, take time to acknowledge your, your wrong specifically to the person and ask for forgiveness. Now, I tell you the truth, my friends, many tears will be shed. Many wounds will be will be healed. If you just take these practical steps. The question is, do you do you will you allow God to do a supernatural work inside of you so that you can remove whatever barrier that's there? That God can change you from the inside out. Are you willing to allow God to do that for you? Are you willing to allow God to put the spirit of repentance and confession in your heart? If you're willing to do that, I just want you to type in the chat. If you're on Facebook, just type in, I'm willing. If you're in the Zoom meeting, just type in, I'm willing. I'm willing for God to put in my heart the spirit of repentance and confession. I'm willing for God to do a supernatural work inside of me so that there's nothing between me and the Savior. I'm willing for God to do a a, a supernatural work inside of me so that there is no hatred. I have no hate. Can can you imagine you're looking at someone that did you wrong and you don't hate them? That you have no animosity towards them. That you have no ill will in your heart towards them. You would be like Jesus where he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That is a supernatural work that only God can give you. It is not something that you have naturally of yourself. And in order for that supernatural work to take place, you and Jesus must have time alone together. Hey, if that means you have that that Christian instrumental playing in the background and you're opening the word of God and you're praying and you have the spiritual books out and you're talking to God and you're listening to God and that fellowship and sweet communion is there, that's what it means. If it means there's complete silence and you're sitting there just waiting for a word from God, that's fine too, however it is. Let God do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And in so doing, my friends, I promise you, the Bible says there's a peace that passes all understanding. I'm telling you, last week was my worst week, but last week was my blessed week. For the Most High came, and he was with me, and he dwelt with me, and he gave me peace in the midst of my storm. And he's still with me right now, and he will do the same for you. Just hold on. Don't give up. He is ever present. He loves us, my friend. (laughs) He loves us dearly. He loves us dearly. How many understood the word of God tonight? Let me see your hand if you understood the word of God. Or Not your hand. just, just Just type in, I understood. I understood. Type it in the chat. Type it in the browser. I understood. If you understood tonight, just type in, I understood or I understand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's going to do something special for us today, my friends, on the Holy Sabbath. Do you know that on this day, unlike any other day, God gives special blessings on this day. And he wants to do it for us. It says, what happens? I'm going to read the question. What happens to those who don't confess their sin? And are convinced that they did no wrong. Well, my friends, if they don't, they stay. They they die in their sin. Uh, you know, it's interesting if you if you remember uh, Jesus saying something like this. He says, um, "If you don't forgive your brother, I can't forgive you." Well, what do you mean? It's not that he won't forgive you. It's that you cannot truly forgive. If you've accepted the gospel and you received the forgiveness of God, it's inevitable that you will forgive your brother because that's how the gospel works. And if you've received the gospel, it will translate into a practical experience with your brother and sister. Right. So if you confess your sin and you ask God for forgiveness and then you don't forgive your brother, it's not going to work because you've never really experienced the gospel. So, my friends have you experienced the gospel have you allowed God to forgive you from the depths of your sin and if you can do that then you when you engage with others and they don't do it the way you're supp- they're supposed to your posture is forgiveness your disposition is forgiveness the question is will you receive forgiveness God is always in the posture of forgiveness but will you receive that forgiveness so tonight if you have a question or if you want to make a statement tonight uh a comment not 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 to deviate from our subject matter but if you want to make a comment tonight raise your hand and I will pull you on the platform and allow you to make that comment this evening I think the audio will work is there anyone that makes wants to make a comment or you have a question feel free to raise your hand with the reaction button or raise your hand button all right my friends the lesson guide will be for last week will be available tomorrow probably by noon and then uh the audio for tonight's study will be available tomorrow by noon as well so you'll get that on our podcast Uh, my friends you guys have a blessed evening a wonderful Sabbath let's bow our heads for prayer Our Father in heaven we want to thank you so much for your grace and mercy I want to thank you Father for not giving us what we deserve but giving us what your dear son does or the reality of the gospel is beyond our normality. So we ask, Lord, that you show us more of Jesus, so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Please teach us how to love you. We've been learning over the past few weeks, but Father, we want more. We want nothing between us and you. And where we are honest, we are honest with you, Father. There's, there's, there's nothing. I don't hide nothing from you. You know where I'm broken at. You know where I need to be fixed. I want to love you, Father, from everything that's within me. I want to love you. And I know I don't love you like I should. So please show us more of Jesus. Please make our experience such that the things of this world will never, ever keep us out of the kingdom of heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. My friends, blessed evening. Happy Sabbath. May God continue to bless your dear souls. This concludes another episode of The Gospelpreneur. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends so we can all grow together. Until next time, be the abundance and be blessed.